Well, good morning. Hey, when you awaken this morning, it was maybe raining at your house. It was a little sad and gloomy looking outside. It would have been easy for you to sleep in and to take the day off. But you know what? You've been thinking about the church according to Scripture, haven't you? That we rise up and we show up and we come to worship the living God. So uh, for 40 weeks, this is the 40th week, 40 weeks, we've been looking at the Scriptures and asking the question, what is the church according to Scripture? What does the church do? What does it look like? What does it focus on? What empowers it to have life and health in the world? So this is week 40, and we have one more week next week. And then we're going to not know everything that Scripture says about the church, but we're going to move to a new subject, September the 5th, um, that I'll introduce as that gets closer. But you could say we've persevered together through 40 weeks of considering a topic. And perseverance is a word the Bible is very familiar with. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews that we've already heard from and we'll hear from in just a moment, it's all about perseverance. So before I read it, let's think for a moment about perseverance. Some of you in your life have been runners. Uh, Others of you have been spectators of runners. And you know that there are moments that the runner wants to quit where the running would become walking but they have to persevere. Hikers have to endure hills, and they have to persevere and push through. Students have to persevere through semesters or through practices, and you have moments where you just kind of want to quit. I'm tired of this class. I'm tired of studying. I just want to change. People in general, we know perseverance, Because our relationships require perseverance, our works, our jobs require perseverance. Because there's quit in all of us. We are prone to want to quit, prone to want to walk away, prone to want to give up. That's what the book of Hebrews is addressing. And God has given a very special gift to His church that we would not quit that we would persevere and endure together. And that gift is each other. It's the gift of fellowship. And fellowship's a familiar word. We use it uh, all the time. But this morning, I really want to sit on the subject of fellowship and to challenge us to deepen our fellowship within our own community. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, short passage but rich with meaning. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, would you now open our eyes to Your Word and the truths that it has for us 
And Lord, for the gift of fellowship, would we see what we have and would we make the most of it that we might persevere in faith to the very end? We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if perseverance is to push against that willingness in us to quit, there's one thing that is a great enemy to our perseverance. And that is being alone. Being alone is the enemy to perseverance. Now, some of you maybe have seen the show on the History Channel called Alone. I've watched several episodes of it. A friend of mine told me, you've, you've got to watch this show because it's rich with sermon illustrations. And it is. And here's the first one. So the, the show Alone takes ten individuals who are trained and equipped to handle themselves in the outdoors, and then it deposits them separate from each other, without any connection to each other, in just the worst environments, the harshest of environments. And they're able to take a few things, like a tent and a fishing pole, maybe a spear, but they have to choose what items they'll take to try to survive in whatever landscape they're living. And as I watched the first episodes that I saw, I didn't watch them in order, it's fun to watch the 10, and they, they are all on their own camera. I should add that. There are no camera crews there filming them. They have their own selfie cameras, and, and they keep up with their daily events. So they literally are all alone. And as you see the 10, uh, or however many they might have on that episode, uh, trying to survive, it's fun to try to pick the one that you think is going to make it. And I've been wrong every time. Because I knew that the ex-military guy, the tough guy who built the, it looked like a log cabin, he built with a knife, that guy's going to make it. And he was one of the first ones to tap out and go home. So they give you an emergency uh, phone, I guess you'd call it, and they can tap out and have a helicopter come and rescue them and take them home. Once they've had enough, if they get sick, or in the case of the military guy who I knew was going to win, he missed his family. He was tired of being alone. Nobody to talk to, nobody to listen to, nobody to share with. And it had been years since he left the military, and he had grown a marriage and had young children that he just adored. And he couldn't last 30 days without his family. And so the name of the show is Alone. alone being alone is the enemy of perseverance. When we are alone, we are the most vulnerable to the worst of things. Think about your own life, your own experience, the people that you know. When we are alone, we are the most vulnerable. But God has given us this special gift to help us persevere, and it's called fellowship. Now, we didn't use the Apostles' Creed this morning, but if we had used the Apostles' Creed, we would have had that familiar line where we say, and I believe in the communion 
of saints. Now, that is a packed statement with more meaning than fellowship, but fellowship is part of it. We believe in the communion of saints, the immediate saints and the saints forevermore behind us and before us. But it's talking about fellowship, that we are in this together. We, there is a oneness to us that God has given His church. And we believe in that, the communion of saints, the fellowship of the saints. It is a powerful thing that we tend to neglect, that I tend to neglect, and that you tend to neglect. The fellowship of the saints, it is a beautiful thing. I saw a prayer request uh, that came by email. Like you, you, like me, you probably got multiple emails of ways to pray for Afghanistan this week, ways to pray for Haiti. I got about four of those. They're all good. I encourage you to use all of them. But one of them had this statement in it. Of those in Afghanistan, those Christians suffering in Afghanistan, pray that they might have fellowship with other Christians and know that they are not alone. You see it? That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is is God's way of giving us each other. And even if at a distance that we can pray for each other, know that we're loved and cared for by brothers and sisters that we have this eternal communion with. And it encourages the hearts of God's people. It's supposed to, when we don't neglect it. So all that to say, that is the language of perseverance. And we only have two points in our sermon this morning. That's a brief record for me. The first is this. It is the call to persevere in faith. It's what the book of Hebrews is all about. You saw one little snippet from chapter 10. It's about, hey, it is a tough race out there to live the Christian life. But you must persevere. You must run the race with endurance. You must press on. You must push forward and persevere by faith. The author of Hebrews then says, hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's the way the NIV puts it. Hold on unswervingly. That means to hold firm and to hold fast. And you can't help but picture a steering wheel when it says unswervingly. But the idea is to, to grip that steering wheel and don't budge. Keep it between the lines. No swerving. That's the kind of image we would have for the language that he's using. So we're to hold on to our faith, gripping it like a steering wheel. And we're then, he says, to spur one another forward. Spur one another on in verses 24 and 25. And that language is to stimulate through sharpness. Now, those of you who are familiar with horses know exactly what a spur is and how you would use a spur on your heel to gently prod at the horse to move it forward, to give it a a command, to give it some encouragement, uh, my friends would say. We're supposed to spur each other on. And that language of spur, that stimulating through sharpness, other ways of expressing that is stirring up agitating, provoking. And so fellowship has this spurring characteristic to it, which 
if we translate it into a real life story, might sound like this. Is it good fellowship or bad fellowship if you're with a lot of brothers and sisters and you really need somebody to speak a hard word to you and nobody will? A word of correction, a word of rebuke, a word of encouragement. But if everybody just was muzzled and said nothing, no. Spurring is good when done in love and for the good of the other. So consider your fellowship, what you would call your closest friendships, your fellowship, your community. Is it a community that even tolerates spurring? Or is spurring considered unacceptable? It's just all loves and hugs, right? Spurring is good when it's appropriately done. We spur one another on toward love in good deeds... And then he says, keep on meeting together. Don't give it up. You'll be tempted to give it up. There will always be something else to do. You will wake up on a morning when it's rainy and gloomy, but don't give up meeting together. It's for your good. It's where you can be spurred in love and with good deeds. And then fourthly, he says, encourage one another. Be encouraged and encourage other people. Now look, some of us are gifted as encouragers and some of us not so much. Archie Moore is going to encourage you. I don't even have to finish the sentence. You know that Archie Moore has the gift of encouragement. And it's a beautiful thing. And then there's Paul Patrick. The cynical discourager. Right? So I could try to let myself off the hook, right? Or I could say, you know what? The scriptures say we're to encourage one another. So, in your own way, can't be Archie Moore, there's only one Archie Moore, but in your own way, find a way to encourage the saints around you. And I would say the same thing to you. Consider how God has made you, who you are, and be a source of encouragement to other Christians, to the people who make up your fellowship and your community. So it's a call to persevere. Every one of us is called to persevere in the Christian faith. We're told it's going to be hard, but God has given us a gift to help us persevere. And that is the gift of fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Well, here's a definition. The fellowship of the saints was and is the gathering of the saints in joy with thanksgiving to God to encourage their faith and even their children's faith to help grow them in grace for perseverance to the end. Now, it's a long definition, but there's a lot of truth captured there. That, those are the facets of what perseverance is. Rob Rayburn says this about the role of perseverance in the Christian life. He says, Our endurance in faith requires the encouragement and accountability that we get from other believers. People who call themselves Christians, but who show little or no interest in the fellowship of the saints, are people who don't realize what is at stake or how vulnerable they are to fatal errors of thought and life. 
Now, the big assumption there in what he says is that it would be a spurring fellowship where one another pushes the other, encourages the other, speaks a, a needed word of correction to the other. But that's what the gift of fellowship really is. It is a gift of God with benefits for God's people. Now, what does fellowship look like? <clears throat> Here's where the sermon starts to change a little bit, okay? In the Bible, fellowship looks a certain way. It looks like worship. It looks like feasting and festivals. And it can look like fasting together. Let me comment on each of those briefly. In Psalm 42, that familiar psalm about the deer panting for water, verse 4 of that psalm says this, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude of people, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving, among the festive throng. Do you hear what he's saying there? Ah, oh, man, I remember we would go in large numbers and gather for the worship of God. And we were thankful. The whole throng of people, was. we were filled with joy. There was something special about gathering in a large group for worship. That's fellowship. And we've had these experiences. We're offered these experiences every week here in church, but it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Sometimes attending worship feels like, oh, it's raining, don't really want to go, but I'm going to be there. Sometimes that, that's what worship feels like, and that's what worship can be. But it can be like this. It can make your heart, it can make your sad heart lifted up and sing with joy and have thanksgiving. And the fellowship of the saints is what God uses to make that community and to make it work, to make it special to you, that you see people who care for you, that love you, that know you. That's what makes the magic work. It also looks like feasts and festivals. And I got to tell you, this is my favorite part. In the Old Testament, feast after feast after feast, festivals, all of them periodic, not daily events, okay? That's where I get in trouble. Not every meal is meant to be a feast, right? They're to be periodic events, and they should be for us. God's relationship with food and His, his gift of food to His people, I mean, it's right at the beginning of Genesis, and it runs throughout the Bible to Revelation to the ultimate feast that we'll have with Christ. Food is so much a part of the Christian story. It's so much a part of the Christian life. And it's fun. Food is fun and it's enjoyable. It's a gift and God has given us this. And He's told us, enjoy it and enjoy each other and remember me when you do. That's literally what God has said about feasts. So fellowship includes feasting and festivals and happy worship. And then it also, you could say, includes fasting. Fellowship includes fasting. Okay, so this is the hardest thing to hear. There are times where it's appropriate 
for God's people to go without food for a short time for the purpose of prayer and seeking the Lord. And you don't have to do that alone. You can do that alone. But that can be done in community as a part of your fellowship. Imagine with me, and I suppose stories like this have happened, where you're concerned about something in your life. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your health. And God's given you just a few people, a small group that you really feel like you can trust. Imagine going to them and saying, I've got this going on in my life. And they're responding and saying, we're going to pray with you. We're going to fast with you as we pray for a certain period of time because we love you. And God's will be done, right? Remember, fasting is not twisting God's arm to get your way. Fasting is the way the heart is devoted and pours itself out to the living God. So fasting can be a part of our fellowship. And maybe it's not. Maybe it needs to be more of a part of our fellowship. But all that together, worship, feasting, festivals, fasting, that's a full-orbed worship. That's a little bit of everything, and, and that's what the Scriptures have given us. So I ask you, does your fellowship look anything like that? Because that's what fellowship is, according to Scripture. Fellowship is rich, it's beneficial, and it's helpful. It's good for God's people. So how do we get fellowship wrong? How do we get fellowship wrong in my life, in your life? I'm going to say a few things. I think we fall short of the Scripture's definition and expectation of fellowship when our fellowship is merely cokes and jokes. That's the way my campus minister used to put it. You know, we're not just about cokes and jokes here, right? We're not just, just because we have a pizza doesn't make it a fellowship, right? So it's got to be more than cokes and jokes. It's got to have substance of faith. It's got to have substance. It can't be weak on substance. It can't lack intentionality. So we get our fellowship wrong when it's merely cokes and jokes. And I would add that we get our fellowship wrong when it's Leviticus and push-ups. What I mean by that is when it's just rigid. Well, we're serious. Oh, we're just serious. It's, it's going to be heavy and serious because we're heavy and serious Christians. right? Okay, I think we get it wrong. Remember, the feasts, the festivals, the joy. So it's not Leviticus and push-ups. It's not cokes and jokes. It's also not healthy fellowship when people are there, but only because they feel like they have to be, rather than they want to be. You've been in this situation, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you get invited to a birthday party, kids, you'll want to go. It's your parents who have to take you there and linger at the birthday party, or come back and get you, there's not a lot of joy in that. And sometimes our fellowship can be that way, if we're honest. Well, you know, the church is doing this, and so I just got to go, right? Somebody's going to say something to me if I don't go. That's not fellowship. That's not healthy fellowship. Our fellowship, when we gather, 
it should be good. It should be sweet. It should be enjoyable. And I think we need to process that and think through that. Because if it's not, then it needs to change. It needs to be attractive. It needs to draw people in, not make people feel like, well, i got to be here. I'll check out as soon as I can. Right? It's got to be of the heart, and it's got to be real. Sometimes we throw bad parties. Can we say that? Sometimes our fellowship is not very good. Uh, on Wednesday, I had the thought of, of titling this sermon, Why Do Christians Throw the Worst Parties? We Have the Most to Celebrate, But Do It So Poorly. I think I was having a bad day on Wednesday. Um, but we had already sent the bulletin off to be printed, and so couldn't go with that title. But it is true. Isn't it true in your experience that Christians in ministries sometimes throw the worst parties? And I don't think it should be that way. You look at those Old Testament selections that we considered about joy, the festivity, the feasting, the coming together. It was the highlight of the people's lives. And so it can be and should be for us. I think we also get it wrong anytime our fellowship gatherings are mundane, burdensome, obligatory, and routine. When they do not revive us or renew us, when they're not enjoyed, or when they're not encouraging of our faith, our friendships, our fellowship, and our community. Now that sounds maybe very negative. What I want to do is cast a positive vision and as a, as a church family say, now, how can we go become that more and more? How can we more and more be a people who love each other, who love being together, so much so that people start inviting others to come participate in our fellowship? And so this week I did some, some drafting of ideas, some thinking of, okay, where can we address fellowship the most helpfully? So what's true is at GPC, and I've been here for, what, a year and a half, my observations are these. Our women understand fellowship. I'm not going to say it's a perfect fellowship because I have no idea. I'm not a woman and I don't go. But they get together. They do stuff, and they do fun stuff. And they seem to really enjoy each other. It's a good thing. Our youth, they get fellowship. They do fun things. They have substantial time together. They, they enjoy coming together and growing as youth at GPC. Our teenagers, now COVID has made this tricky, but I've been to a teenagers event. They have fun. They do things that they want to do and they enjoy being together. The one group that I haven't seen meet with regularity I would say is maybe the group that needs it most and it's our men it's our men who need to come together who need friendships any statistics you read anything on friendship and male friendships it'll tell you men struggle with friendships and it's not healthy it's not good and so this week I tinkered with okay 
Last year, we had a big men's fellowship. You might remember we had a speaker. We gathered out at the barn, and it seemed to be a, a good effort, a good night. So this doesn't mean we're going to do it. But here's a vision, and I'm speaking to our men and our women and our children, but really to our men. What's wrong with that picture? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that picture. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. And what I'd like to do is challenge our men to once a month, just once a month. And I don't know if Friday's the best night. You're going to have to tell me what night works for the majority. But what if, you can flip it, what if we gathered once a month and we ate like kings? Because we were disciplined all week to enable us to eat like kings on Friday, right? We ate like kings, but then what if we had some quality time together and talked about things that matter, like wisdom and discipline, like redeeming our appetites of food and drink, or redeeming our schedules of work and rest, or redeeming our relationships, our friendships, and our marriages, or redeeming our emotions, dealing with anger and joy appropriately. You know, I think that would be time well spent. I think it'd be enjoyable. I think it may deepen our faith as we feed our faith. And I think it could, if it's done well, maybe even be a comfortable place to invite your unchurched friends to come and have a good evening together and to begin to hear what is it that Christians believe? What is it that the Bible is about? So that's my challenge, and, and that's, that's what I hope is a robust view of what GPC Men's Fellowship can be. Time well spent, things of substance. And my vision for this is just like the Men's Fellowship last year, ages 13 and up. So young men, it's time for young men to be with men and learn how to think about what the Bible says and what the Christian life is. So I want to challenge you. <clears throat> so that's my rough draft. What's yours and how could you add to that? Because some of you can cook. Some of you can speak on these subjects. And God's people need to be spurred by you, not just by me. We need to be spurred by one another. And others of you are looking at that and maybe already thinking, well, why are the men getting the fun stuff? Well, Guess what? We can brainstorm and create for everyone, for all the people groups, right? Fellowship is the gift of God to enable us to persevere in our faith through what is a challenging life and a difficult world. And so my hope is that a faith that God's given us could be more robust because of the fellowship that is robust and that that might lead to a church family and a future that is more robust. That's what fellowship is. That's why God's given it to us, to spur us on, to move us forward, to not remain as we are, but to grow and to change in a healthy way. Can we pray that God would do that, not just for our men, but for all of our church family? Let's pray. Father in heaven, that is my prayer. <clears throat> that you would give us a robust fellowship, a more robust faith, and even a robust future. 
that we at GPC would be known as faithful plotters, those who persevere at work, at home, at play. So Lord, would you bless this effort in this prayer for greater fellowship and most importantly for the perseverance of the saints. We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the music team plays, I thought they were going to walk. I thought I was going to have a moment. Sorry. Um, so we're talking about feasting, festivals, and it would be easy to just think of the here and now. But you know, all of the fellowship and the communion that we enjoy now, the scriptures say are just a shadow of what is to come. The ultimate feast, the ultimate festival, the ultimate communion with Christ Himself. So before we sing this hymn, it's We Will Feast in the House of Zion that really turns our attention heavenward to these beautiful truths. I meant to include this in the sermon, but I want to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon that really captures well the sense of the feasting that God is providing for His people. It creates a sense of longing in us. And then I want us to sing the hymn and see how that longing is ultimately fulfilled. Spurgeon said this, I want you all to know and to believe that there will be a day when all the chosen seed, the blood-bought and saved, will make one body, and Christ shall come and will glorify them with Himself in a union, a fellowship that shall never end. Don't be left outside the wedding feast, he says. Indeed, you cannot be left outside the wedding feast if you have trusted in Jesus. Therefore, trust Him at once. Rest in that Lamb who will be your bridegroom and at whose marriage supper you shall be present to praise the glory of His grace forever and ever. Amen.